Hey, um, everybody, it's another episode of Perspective, and today we are um, having a conversation that I think will interest you um, with Kevin Marshall, who is a criminal defense attorney. And we're going to talk about um, some things that are been have been pressing in the media, in the news. Um, so welcome, Kevin. Good evening, good evening, good evening. Thank you for being here and being a part. So let's Thank just dive right me. in. I, I want to kind of have a conversation. Everybody, uh, well, people were talking about Meek Mill and him mm-hmm. being released um, and the circumstances that surrounded him being incarcerated, you okay. know, to begin with and the whole nine. So, um, give, well, before we do that, give people some insight on you. Um, what I mean, we know you're an attorney, but kind of okay. give people like, you know, where you went to school, what you do and like maybe why you're doing this to begin with. Absolutely. So I'm Kevin Marshall. I'm the uh, managing attorney for the Marshall Law Group, uh, which is a firm based out of Atlanta, Georgia. Mm-hmm. We do criminal defense, personal injury, business law, uh, you name it, we do it. I initially got into law. Uh, funny story. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father is actually a felon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he went to jail for selling drugs when I was a lot younger. Mm-hmm. Um and, and I saw the dynamics, how it played on you, on me mm-hmm. as a small African-American child, how it you know, affected my mother, my family and his family. Mm-hmm. So for me, I always wanted to be on the opposite side of the criminal justice system, sure. which is why I eventually uh, you know, went to college. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was one of the first in my immediate family to go to college. Mm-hmm. And after that, I went on to law school. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the, the funny the funny thing about law school is that a lot of people wouldn't have taken me to go to law school and, and even complete law school. I wasn't the ideal student in college. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've had pretty good grades. I was student body president. Uh, but I thought to go to law school, you had to graduate in you know the top of your class or have straight A's. Mm. So I never expected to get accepted to law school. And I didn't really even fathom that people that look like me could be attorneys. Wow. You know, I hadn't really seen a lot of black attorneys growing up, mm-hmm. um, even on television. Sure. You know, now we have TV shows like How to Get Away with Murder and Scandal. So this generation really has a lot of uh, role models to look to, even Barack Obama yeah. and Michelle Obama. They have a lot of people they can look to and say, hey, they went to law school. Mm-hmm. Back then, I didn't really have that. Sure. And I didn't understand that you could be a lawyer or a judge mm-hmm. until I got a lot older. That being the case, I went to law school um, here in Atlanta, Georgia, at Atlanta's John Marshall Law School, which is located in Midtown. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been practicing since then. And yeah, that's kind of my story about how I got yeah, into the legal profession. So, um, you know, what we see oftentimes is, uh, you know, as you already alluded to, we see, you know, white attorneys and the whole nine. And right. so I do think that it's important for us to see. Uh, attorneys who are um, black and brown uh, and male, mm-hmm. you know, for, for a lot of obvious reasons, I do think that I personally think that being, you know, a person of color um, could sensitize one differently to, you know, the situation or yeah. case that they may be, re- may be representing. Is that true for you? Do you find that? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I have a different approach to the practice of law. For me, you know, I'm I'm 30 years old. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm an African-American male in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. You know, I've met clients and I've been successful 
just being myself. I, you know, I go out to a bar. I've met clients in nightclubs and they're just like, hey, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Um, and I tell them I'm an attorney. And I always thought that that would hurt me because I look younger than them or, Mm -hmm. you know, I I dress how I want to dress, you know, or I do the things that I want to do. But I found that everything that I thought would be a negative was actually a positive. You know, Mm. people want attorneys that look like them. You know, there's a market for that. They want attorneys who they can feel comfortable talking to. Yeah. You know, I have a lot of juvenile clients who, you know, are like, you know, Mr. Marshall, like, you know, I, I, I really love that you're my attorney because, you know, you understand what's going on now. I listen mm-hmm. to the same music they do. Right. I know the same designers that they know in terms of fashion at the moment. Sure. Um, I wear the same clothes that they do in, in, in many senses. So I think it's important for one, you to always be yourself. And I always tell everybody that because mm-hmm. there's a specific lane for you being you. Mm-hmm. Uh, being a young attorney, being a black attorney, I feel like all of those have worked to my advantage because there's a market for that. Mm-hmm. Even though I have clients of all races, sure. um, you know, both male and female, yeah. uh, young and old, I got those clients by being me. I didn't try to be something that I wasn't. So, yeah, I think there's a specific niche for everybody mm-hmm. and never change yourself. I, I used to think like, oh, to be a lawyer, you have to talk like this or, or wear this type of suit. Right. And that's just not true. Right. And it's not what everybody wants either. Yeah, I get that. So so let's shift um, back to what I said in the, in the opening about Meek Mill. So for those who do not know, Meek Mill is a rapper who um, had some um legal issues years ago um long story less long he got probation he violated his probation um ended up going back to jail <clears throat> and this last time um he was supposed to be in jail for quite a, a bit of time my understanding is that the judge he had who was a black woman mm-hmm. um she actually um, sentenced him more severely than was recommended by the prosecutor. Mm-hmm. And so it caused an uproar in, you know, in the black community in general. Um, a lot of people were, you know, were really um, upset about what happened, felt like it was um, too, too tense, too intense, rather. Like right. it was too harsh is the word I'm looking for, mm-hmm. uh, of a sentence. And, I, you know, I have deep issues with the criminal justice system in general, mm-hmm. Um but as an attorney, like, what is your position on that case in, in particular? Right. Well, it's twofold. You know, one, you know, I think oftentimes and, and we've talked a little bit about this, too. I think oftentimes things become a big a blow up uh, because it's somebody that everybody knows. We always get these shirts free such and such whenever they, you know, murder somebody and, and they, they're in jail for murder. So I kind of think sometimes we're a little bandwagon in that sense that. We want murderers free, mm-hmm. but then in the same sentence, we want people to pay for the crimes that they commit. Mm-hmm. So in terms of Meek Mill, I don't know the specifics of what his initial sentence was. Mm-hmm. But I do think that if you violate your probation, that you have to suffer the consequences for probation. And I tell all of my clients that, you know, now whether or not his sentence was harsher than the judge normally gives uh, would have me raise eyebrows, but in the same sentence, if I was a judge, and let's say I saw somebody with a lot of potential come into my courtroom, Mm -hmm. I may sentence them harsher than somebody I feel as though doesn't have any potential. I'm I'm usually harder on my mentees than I would be anybody else, Mm -hmm. or people that look like me, um, only because I know that they can do better and I know that they can represent better. Mm -hmm. So from what I know about the McMill situation, while I do understand 
that the criminal justice system is flawed and, and as attorneys and policymakers and lawmakers, all of that stuff, hopefully our hope is to help correct that. Mm-hmm. But laws are on the books for certain reasons. And when you are convicted of a crime and you're on probation, Mm -hmm. you do have to comply with the terms of that probation. And if you don't, I think that you should be sentenced accordingly up to the maximum um, punishment for a violation of that probation. Even if the probation or the law is flawed? I do think so. Yeah, because that's the specific law at that moment. I can't say that, hey, the law is flawed, so I'm only going to give you... Uh, an extra six months on probation or whatever the case may be, I have the ability. Yeah, you can do that. You can do that. But as a judge, it's in my discretion. And typically I'm an elected official. So I have the ability to use my discretion when doing the sentencing. Sure. So I do feel as though, you know, we trust those judges to make those decisions. Yeah, they're humans too. Mm -hmm. And I don't always agree with what judges do. Mm -hmm. And some judges that I'm like, hey, this is crazy. For instance, I had a DUI case that was pushed up to a felony um, because it was fleeing and eluding arrest. Uh, DUIs are typically misdemeanors, you know, unless it's with something else. And this was with the fleeing and eluding. Mm -hmm. Um, And she wouldn't allow him to use his first offender Mm -hmm. uh, treatment. Um, You can't use it for DUIs, but you can use it for whatever the initial felony was. So he was Mm -hmm. able to use first offender uh, for the fleeing and eluding the police officer. Right. Mm -hmm. So the first offender would have given him the opportunity for that specific felony charge to have a fresh start. He would have been able to get it expunged off his record, move on with his life. He would have still had the underlying DUI charge um, and conviction on his record, but he would have been able to use first offender treatment, which would have initially wiped that fleeing, eluding felony off his record. So Mm -hmm. he wouldn't have had a felony after he completed all of his probation. So why did the judge... Because she didn't give us an explanation. She doesn't have to. She said that she would not allow first offender treatment for him. He was a young person of color. Um, The judge was a person of color. And in my opinion, honestly, black judges can be more harsh than than white judges. I don't disagree with that. I mean, I think they can, too. But that's my whole point. I think that so Meek Mill, you know, his probation probation violation the last time was Mm -hmm. popping a wheelie, literally. Mm -hmm. So he popped a wheelie, which for whatever reason, violated his probation. And the judge was going to give, was, had given him up to four years mm-hmm. for popping a wheelie. Right. I mean, I just, I just think that, that, that our sensibilities have to come into play, especially when you look at the fact that he had been on probation for some, you know years, right? Absolutely. For something that was, you know, insignificant, not insignificant, but was not really a serious crime when it was committed. I, I would find out what it was initially. Right. Um, the other thing that's really important to that particular case is one of the police officers who testified was found to have lied. Right. And so how can you not take, you know, the the, the, the flawed nature of probation in general? Absolutely. The fact that he only popped a wheelie, the fact that there is a corrupt cop involved. How do you not take those things into consideration? I don't understand that. I agree with you in the sense that I think the totality of the circumstances with all of that should have been factors in her determination. I I don't discredit that. And I'm not saying that you're incorrect for believing that. Mm -hmm. I agree with you 100%. I'm saying that if you're on probation and whatever the terms are of that probation, you have to follow those terms. If you do not follow the terms of that probation Mm -hmm. and you end up back in front of the judge, typically they are going to give you a harsh sentence. Now, Mm -hmm. whether it, whatever she extended it to, I'm not familiar with the case in depth, but Mm -hmm. whatever she 
granted as a punishment. If it was up to the maximum sentence, I think that she can do that. Now, is it right for her to do that? Not necessarily. However, if that's the decision that she's made as the judge, I think that we should stand by that. Why? Because I feel like that's her her job. Her job is to make a determination. And if we're saying, hey, we don't believe that it's a fair determination Mm -hmm. uh, based upon the totality of the circumstances, that's something that we can review. But I'm saying that Meek Mill is also in the wrong, too, because he did something to violate that probation, no matter how small it is. Mm -hmm. If your job is to be on house arrest and you say I was walking to the mailbox, you know, and, and that violates your probation, you're still in violation of that probation. No I, I understand that. So, the, so the, I, I get that, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, my, my my position or perspective, pun intended, is that we have to be sensible about what our laws are. And I do think that, you know, judges like this one can be wrong. So I don't Absolutely. stand by her making that decision. Mm-hmm. Bec- I mean, in addition to me not standing by, there was a, you know, obviously an outcry from the public. She was even she even gave him more than the prosecutor whose job it is to recommend sentencing was even asking. Which happens every single day. I get plea recommendations from because the way it works real quick. And I know you probably know this, but for everybody listening, the way it works is that let's say for a DUI case. Mm -hmm. All right. We go to court. We get the discovery, which is any information or evidence that the other side has that the state has against my client. Right. Right. So I go to court. We get the discovery. I asked the solicitor in Georgia, we have solicitors and prosecutors. Mm -hmm. I asked the solicitor, which is the state for a lower court. Mm -hmm. I asked the solicitor or the prosecutor what the recommendation is. The recommendation is what he or she or she or he thinks the punishment should be. If we do decide to go into a plea, something that I have to educate my client on is that the judge does not have to accept the recommendation. It's merely a recommendation. We're right. recommending what the judge should do. Sure. So the judge does not have to take that. Right. So it, even if the prosecutor, uh, you know, is on our side, you know, and, mm-hmm. and says that, hey, we should just let this go, Your Honor, the judge and her or his discretion does not have to go with that recommendation. And it's perfectly legal for them not to do that. Is it right? No. I think that if both of us come to a consensus about something, us knowing a lot more about the case than you do, I think that you should take whatever our joint recommendation would be. However, the judge oftentimes doesn't. You know, usually they do, but they do have the discretion not to. I've had it both ways. Yeah, I just, I mean, that's the part that is, you know, is troubling for me is that you have this particular case. Um, I mean, most people, I won't say most people, there are a lot of people who believe the criminal justice system is flawed. It's not perfect. Um, We do know statistically that it disproportionately affects people of color and poor people. So we know those are facts, right, based on empirical data. And so because that is the case, I I, I don't understand how, you know, why anybody would stand by a judge who is seen – is seen to be or seems to be prejudiced against a potential, I mean, a particular individual. Looking at when you look at the evidence, you know, of whatever case we're talking about. Right. So, like in his case, um, I believe the, the the new DA in Philadelphia, his name is Krasner. I want to mm-hmm. say he came in. He was elected. You know, again, for everybody listening, this is why it's so important to go and vote. Oh, yeah. He was elected, and he came in and immediately um, got rid of twenty nine attorneys. Hmm. Um, wrote a memo, which you guys can find online. Just look up the DA in Philadelphia. I think, again, I think his name is Krasner with a K. Um, I think he fired about 29 um, um, lawyers and, and and released a memo of 
what was going to happen in terms of him deconstructing that system of prosecution that they had been using. Right. Because what he said was, we're finding people are being sentenced longer, more harshly, and the crime rate is not going down. Right. So that's not working. Right. So one of the things that he mandated is that if you are going to prosecute somebody, you have to look at how much jail time you're asking for, mm-hmm. what it costs taxpayers, right. and justify why you feel that's better than something rehabilitated. I think that's very, that's a very good. Awesome. I yeah. think it's incredible. Yeah. Because he's talked about like how we should be redirecting funds, mm-hmm. you know, in things that deter people in terms of education mm-hmm. and you know these other kinds of programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, even with, with, with marijuana, he talked about. You know, if, if you basically if you were if somebody is arrested by a police officer having I don't I, I don't want to I don't know if this is the exact amount, but maybe yeah. like an ounce or less, less than, than an ounce. ounce. Mm-hmm. He said, don't prosecute them. I mean, yeah. and, I, and I just think that that's like sensible because he understands how this is pro- affecting folks. Right. You know? And I would say that the the state system is very much so flawed and that it's conviction based. You know, for the state, conviction based for the state, typically for, you know, solicitors offices and prosecutors offices, it's convict, convict, convict. Mm -hmm. Um, And in my experience as a criminal defense attorney, uh, they're not necessarily looking to rehabilitate. They want to get some type of plea or conviction on the books. Mm -hmm. Um, So they shy away from doing any type of, you know, first offenders or diversion diversion programs exactly because they want that conviction. Now, I don't know statistically how that affects them if they go on to another job or in the office, mm-hmm. um, if that's favorable, because I've never worked uh, in prosecution, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it's very much so conviction-based. So I think it takes, you know, um, you know, whoever the solicitor general is, or, you know, I, I think it takes them to come in and, and reform that system, and it's going to have to happen in each office across each county to really make a difference. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, I say that to say, you know, yeah, I think it's a flawed system. I think that we think punish, 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 jail, 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 Mm -hmm. convict, 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 Mm -hmm. instead of what can we do to help these individuals assimilate back into the community after they've learned from from their crimes. And I think the juvenile system is more so like that than the adult system, Mm -hmm. which is why I like juvenile law. Right? Mm -hmm. You're not trying to put them away forever. You're trying to rehabilitate them change their t- thinking, change their mind frame mm-hmm. to put them back into society. We convict somebody and then we expect them to get out and get a job, but they can't uh, yeah. <laughs> because they have... I mean, even the way that yeah. people... And it's not, I don't think it's every state, but when you look at like people who are convicted felons, and I've talked to lots of people who were not aware that in in, in a lot of states, if you're a convicted felon, you lose your right to vote oh, yeah. forever, yeah. Like which is completely nonsensical to me that mm-hmm. you would be convicted of a felony quote unquote pay the time. Right. You know, and and then you still can't vote right. when you get like what I don't understand and this I think that makes no sense. It's political too, you know, for that. You know, we think that these are bad people. So it's a way to disenfranchise a group of people. Of I think voting has nothing to do obviously with if you've committed a crime. I still think that you should be able to elect uh, who you think the president well, yeah. is. Or I anybody. don't feel like you should ever lose your right to vote. I Absolutely. don't care what you do. Absolutely. Like, as long as you know, because you don't lose your you don't lose the the expectation to pay taxes. Right. Right. Yeah. So so how am I paying taxes into a system and I'm not able to elect who represents me in said system? It doesn't make any sense. Right. And then when you look at uh, congressional districts <clears throat> across the country, another you know teachable moment is that uh, inmates are considered citizens or occupants of those particular areas. Mm-hmm. So 
states get, you know, a certain amount of representatives based on population. Right. So you have a thousand people in a certain area of a, you know, a district or a county or what have you. That state gets representatives based on those people. Even right. those people cannot vote. Mm-hmm. Those people, you know, what I'm saying, like, are, are not seen to have full citizenship. It's just, it's just a ridiculous notion. So right. I just think that the criminal justice, criminal justice system in general, when we look at, you know, the way it's constructed. I mean, you know, talking about Meek Mill, looking at mass incarceration, mm-hmm. the the rate that we put people in jail for the, you know, the length of time people do. Look at all the people have been wrongly convicted. I mean, there's just so Absolutely. many issues with color and, right. you know, the sentences we get black versus whites, mm-hmm. like all those things. And, and it's rough. It, it's hard because, too, and I see this every day, you know, in my job, you know, sometimes we'll get a plea recommendation and a plea is just, you know, for those of you that don't know, it's just accepting or, or you know, a certain charge or agreeing to a certain conviction under a certain charge. So we'll get plea agreements sometimes. And, you know, if it's a situation to where the client says, hey, I didn't do this, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't encourage them to take a, a plea mm-hmm. um, unless it's something called an Alfred plea. Alfred was a case in North Carolina, which basically says I'm not going to uh, say that I'm guilty, but I'm going to say that it's in my best interest to accept whatever this mm-hmm. plea is. Is that something you can do in any state? Yeah, typically you can do it in any state. Okay. But um, Alfred, we uh, here in Georgia, you can encourage somebody to say, okay, hey, well, we're, you don't have to go on record saying that you committed this crime. Mm-hmm. However, um, based upon Alfred, I think it's in my best interest because typically, you know, uh, and the case stems from an individual who was saying, hey, I didn't, I didn't do this. I didn't do this crime that you're committing, you know, saying that I committed, mm-hmm. but I need to take this plea because I don't want to do this time in jail or death penalty. I can't remember the specifics, mm-hmm. but it's insane to me how our culture, even with, you know, public defense attorney, you know, public defenders or defense attorneys say, hey, I think that you need to accept this plea deal, Mm -hmm. even if you didn't do it, because you don't want to, we don't want you to have to do the time or face this amount of time for it. You get what I mean? So it's, it's a system by which people feel compelled to plead guilty to crimes that they didn't do, because if they don't, they're going to face up to 30 years in jail for, for, you know, for the underlying charges. It's just, I mean, it's, um, it's unbelievable. Like to, to think about that and try to wrap your brain around, you know, the fact that you're that you're subject to a system that has been shown to treat you unfairly, mm-hmm. that has the power to lock you in a cage, effectively, you know, for for years of your life that you can't get back. I mean, it's now granted too. And the thing about the criminal justice system is not whether you did it or you didn't do it. It's, is there enough evidence there to prove that I'm guilty or innocent? Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know what you did, but I have to tell you, based Mm -hmm. upon the evidence I have in front of me, Mm -hmm. if we take this to trial, you're more than likely not going to win. So if we take this, these charges to trial uh, and and you're looking at 30 years, if you're convicted of these charges, Mm -hmm. if you take this to trial, you're not going to win. I, I can guarantee you, you know, you're you're probably not going to win. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, the jury is going to hear this information and make a decision based upon the information presented. Mm-hmm. And and you're going to get a conviction based upon that and have to serve the time if there's not an appeal or something like that. Um, so that's the system we live in. It's not whether if you're right or wrong. It's what can the evidence prove or, or not prove. That just sounds crazy. When yeah. you really think about it, like it sounds, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I mean, to say like it's not really what you did, whether you did it or not. And thing right. that... That's deeply troubling is we know that because America is a capitalist country, you know, that money in terms of who you can hire and, you know, 
being able to put together a good team right. can mean the, the difference in you going to jail or not. That's yeah. what I'm saying. It's just, it's, it's just flawed. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? You have, cause you have a lot of poor people who can't prove things right. or who can't hire their own attorney. Right. And you have these, these um, public defenders who are overworked, overworked. underpaid, yep. got all these cases. Mm-hmm. Like, so that's why I feel like we should be looking at ways to decriminalize things so as to unclog the system some. Yeah. Because I think that would make it more, it would increase your chances of getting a quote unquote fair case, maybe. Right. What do you think about that? I agree with you, but I don't know that it's going to happen anytime soon. For example, even with DUIs, I mean, when you calculate the fees and everything like that and the surcharges, you know, people are paying, you know, at least a thousand dollars or more for these DUI charges. And that's money that's going back into the state, the community, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think it's but what a charges? System. Explain to them the charges because some people might not know. What you oh, mean. DUI driving under the influence. So it could be influence of alcohol. It could be influence of uh, marijuana or, or, or drug prescription drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, and a good thing to know too, here's a little plug in that has nothing to do with it, but I think a lot of people need to know this about driving under the influence is that in the state of Georgia, you don't even have to be quote unquote drunk to get a driving under the influence charge. Mm-hmm. The statute provides and statute is laws. Mm-hmm. The statute provides that one, you could be driving under the influence if you're over 0.08. And mm-hmm. that's called a DUI per se. Per se, you're drunk because you're over this specific limit, right, mm-hmm. that the legislator set. Or you can have a driving under the influence less safe, which means that you were less safe to drive. The law specifically states that you can be convicted of a DUI um, if you're driving while intoxicated to the point that you're less safe. So I could be at a 0.02 and be considered less safe and people get arrested for it every day. How? Because you're still less safe. There's two laws. One law says that we've always been taught if you, you if you blow a 0.08, mm. then you're going to get arrested for DUI. But you can blow a 0.01 or 0.02. Now, whether those charges will stick is something different, but I'm defending DUI cases now mm-hmm. where people have blown under 0.08 and have been arrested for DUI because you're, less safe, because you're less safe to drive. Says who? That's what a jury has to determine. How would they know? I don't like. Right. How does so the jury they know they, So, for instance, uh, one of my cases was um, an accident case, mm-hmm. right? It was an accident case uh, by which the police showed up to the scene. Um, my client called the police to the scene of, uh, of the accident, mm-hmm. right? Um, so he, he basically called the police because something was wrong with his tire. He ran off the road and, and messed up his tire. So he called the police, thinking that they would help him, right? The police got there and said, oh, we smell alcohol. Have you been drinking? Which they do all the time. Mm-hmm. And my client said, yeah, I had a beer. You know, can you help me get my, my, my car together <laughs> or, you know, help me get back home? So they asked my client to step out of the car. They did the field sobriety test and all of that stuff. My client refused to blow sure. based upon the fact that he was like, I'm not drunk. Why, why are you asking me to take a breathalyzer test when I need help? I'm trying to get home. I've watched the videos, which is the discovery. Like I said, that's part of the discovery package. Mm-hmm. And I know my client wasn't drunk. My, my client wasn't even talking drunk, but they still arrested him for DUI less safe, which means that they believe that he was less safe to operate a vehicle based upon the car accident that he got into with himself, basically, because it wasn't another car. Right. Um, so that's just one of the ways that the laws here aren't necessarily designed to help or, or necessarily protect us. I think 
you know, the, the mind frame of it may be good, right? Because somebody could be a quote unquote lightweight and, and drink mm. two beers and be under 0.08 and get out here and kill somebody because that was their first time drinking. Let's say mm-hmm. you just turned 21, you have right. never had a drink right. and you, you have a couple beers and yeah, you're swerving a little bit and you're less safe, but that's just, you know, I say that to say that's, you know, a, a kind of a crazy or, or different just, Yeah, it's, it's such a subjective idea yeah. because even with where the, the, the law is now, mm-hmm. everybody is different. So some people, right. like you said, can have, you know, I've, I've talked to folks who can have, you know, a couple glasses of wine and they're like, mm-hmm. whoa. And I've talked to people who can drink a whole box. Yeah. Right. And, and they're totally quote unquote fine. I, mean, I don't know if they're fine, but you understand what I'm right. saying? Like, I, I just, I mean, that is. And you know what? You would be surprised too. I have friends that could be, you know, under the influence, you know, and, and actually drive a lot better than when they're sober. I lie to you not. I don't know if it's because they're more relaxed after they've had a, a drink mm-hmm. or a glass of wine, but they seem more comfortable driving as opposed to, you know, when they're not. Mm-hmm. So I, I say that's not to provide a justification, but just to say that alcohol, um, you know, and everything else affects people differently. Sure, any drug does. I mean, that's just, yeah. Okay, so... <laughs> I mean, given that, so let's let's move um, to just the idea of kind of where we are. Speaking of drugs, let's just move to that. Like there is um, a lot of conversation in the country right now about the legalization of marijuana. And I've right. had this talk on Facebook with, you know, uh, on my Facebook page and am wondering like what the issue is. Like, I don't understand legalizing marijuana. Yeah, I don't understand. Like, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, you said people could get DUIs, right, for any drug they can. Uh I don't know anybody person who's ever gotten a DUI for being smoking weed. Like, I'm sure there is maybe somewhere, but that's not normally what we hear or see. The other thing is that, I mean, weed has been proven to have medicinal qualities. Um it's not as damaging to your body as alcohol. Absolutely. Like there are all these other things. And I don't really understand if a, if an adult mm-hmm. person wants to do this, like who cares? Right. Right. And then you now have states, California, I mean, Washington, Colorado, other states yeah. that have legalized it. Mm-hmm. It's still a federal, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's an issue of a federal law, but right. in these states, mm-hmm. it's not. And so what are your thoughts on the legalization of, of marijuana? I, I definitely am a proponent of, of legalizing marijuana. And I think one of the issues um, is that it's deemed as a black drug. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think that it is because I know just as many white people that, that smoke weed as black people. Mm-hmm. I know white professional businessmen who smoke marijuana because it help them, helps them calm down after work. Mm-hmm. So it's not, in a sense, just a black drug, but I think society thinks of it. Mm-hmm. As such, you mean and we get like black people? Yeah, it, yeah. Right. And I think we get convicted of it more than uh, than uh, any other race black right. people do. So I, I think it's looked upon as a black drug, which is why I think it'll take longer for some places to lighten up the sentencing for it because mm-hmm. it's a black issue. Like with opioids, like there, that's a that's a uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, it's when it's a, a drug that don't really affect. Black people like that or perceived to affect black people, you know, it's a national crisis. They want to give money towards people getting help. Yeah. They ain't giving no money to like no no black people like, you know, that smoke weed. And again, for, for me, you know, weed is more of a common drug. So I would honestly 
if I'm if I'm at you know out at a bar or something like that, I would rather everybody be high smoking weed than I would and drunk. Mm-hmm. I've never been around a group of people that have been high that start fighting or that mm-hmm. you know or or cause any type of chaos or commotion mm-hmm. because usually they just want some food. And, you know, what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> they just want some. You know, what I'm saying some well, weed. I, I, I do think that um, to that point, like when you're talking about um, you know folks who are drinking versus people who are, you know, using weed, there are those stark differences. And then going back to, uh, I guess, maybe 80s, 90s, when you yeah. think about the crack cocaine uh, epidemic, Absolutely. Um, you know, there was all these, you know, war on drug campaigns and just say no. And Absolutely. A lot of things instituted by the Reagan and Clinton administrations um, that disproportionately affected people of color. Absolutely. And poor folks. Absolutely. And now that we have an opioid crisis that's happening in suburbia. Yeah. Now it's a medical problem. Absolutely. It's not a criminal problem mm-hmm. anymore. And, I mean, it's even with Vicodin and all of those painkillers and stuff like that. I mean, I think it's just, I think it's unfair. Um, and I mean, it, it's expected, right? It's expected that things are gonna things that hit a certain community, um, the black community, even the Hispanic community. Those things are gonna be looked at differently than things that hit, you know. The, the white community. Mm-hmm. And those are just facts. That's that's not being racial. It, it is what it is, sure. you know, even on paper. Um, so I do agree with the legalization of marijuana. I think that it'll help a lot of people in terms of medically, you mm-hmm. know, those, um, the effects of like cannabis oil, like here in Georgia, cannabis oil is legal. Um, oh, really? to actually, yes, yeah, smoke marijuana. That's, that's not, uh, legal. And I don't really see a, a major difference with it. Um, so I do agree that it should be legal. However, the kind of uh, the next step after that is should inmates who are currently convicted of uh, charges stemming from marijuana mm-hmm. crimes, should they be released? And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I've read some articles. Some states are moving towards reform by which they're releasing those people. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that? Do you think that they should be released? <laughs> I, of course I do. I mean, I right. just like how are you going to have a situation where you lock somebody up for weed possession um, or, you know, smoking or what have you. And then now you have the same folks, i.e. like a John Boehner, who was a former Speaker of the House, mm-hmm. who is literally investing right. in companies that are going to be manufacturing and selling weed. Like right. it is a complete double standard. It's complete hypocrisy for a person who was a legislator creating laws right. that made this illegal to now benefit from it while other people are incarcerated for it. Like, how is that sensible? I feel two ways about that. And I always try to look at things from two perspectives. On one end, I agree with you 100%. I do feel as though, yeah, now that it's the hot thing, people are making profit out of it and people yeah. are investing in it while some people are in jail you know, for it. Yeah. So I agree with that. I, I still also have the... Uh, the opinion that at that specific time, it was a crime. Mm-hmm. So for me, you were convicted in the era or the time period where it was illegal and you knowingly committed a crime at that specific time. Mm-hmm. Why should you be exonerated? Because years later, it happened to not be a crime anymore. When you committed that act, you knew mm-hmm. that it was a crime and you committed it mm-hmm. with a mind frame. And we call that mens rea. Um, the, the mental state that it was a crime that you were committing. Mm-hmm. So I think that you should, you know, be punished for that. Now, if you have an outrageous conviction, I do think that it's a case by case uh, situation where you should look at I the mean, amount, would, all of that stuff. 
but first of all, I mean, that's not the manpower, the resources to look at case by case. Absolutely. We talk about people who've been convicted of weed. That would yeah. take eons. Yeah. I mean, I just think that we have to, it goes back to my earlier argument about mm-hmm. the Meek Mill situation. Yeah. We have to look at sensible laws and what, because I can give you a case in point. At a, at a point in time, right, it was legal. Mm-hmm. Well, let me, let me, let me, let me move. I wouldn't go back that far. I'll go back to the 60s, 50s. Uh, at a point in time in America, it was against the law to marry interracially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? That was the law. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like somebody who married interracially and was convicted and locked up should still be in jail when the U.S. Supreme Court said this is unconstitutional? Right. No, I agree with you. I do agree. And there's a lot of laws on the book right now that are still on the book that we just don't enforce. Like you could Google crazy laws still on the books and you're going to find a lot of crazy yeah, stuff no, that, but, that would but, never happen. Why don't you answer that question? I am, I'm going back to that question. So, no, I do agree with you on that specific uh, on that, that specific point. However, and I, I typically do agree with you, but mm-hmm. I offer a different perspective pun intended, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, as to my reasoning. Okay. I agree with you. Yeah, you know, in a perfect world, you know, marijuana will be legal and we'll let all of those individuals go. One, because it's a waste of money. We're wasting jail time. We're, Absolutely. We're, it's a waste of everybody's money. Um, but two, I have to say this, that it was a crime during that time period. So but, so was the Mar- but so was Mary. In- a- absolutely. And, and that's why, so my, my opinion still stands in terms of that specific perspective if that was a law during the time period and you were convicted during that time period of it, you mm-hmm. should finish out your sentence. That's one perspective. Yeah. So you're saying that if a, if a, if, if a black and white person got married mm-hmm. when it was illegal, right. they should stay in jail even though the law has been overturned? I think so. Now, now hear me out. Again, <laughs> listen to me because I see how you, uh, y'all should see how he's looking at me. <laughs> These are the two perspectives. One, I agree with you. I'm offering another perspective. So, America listen, America listen, (laughs) America listen, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying I agree with you. Uh However, another side to that story, if I was representing the state, I would argue that at the time that was done, it was illegal. So my job, uh, you know, in terms of representing the state's interest is Mm -hmm. that if there was a law on the book by that state, you know, at that specific time, Mm -hmm. if that's broken, that individual should remain in jail. But the the whole point. It's, I just don't understand that argument because the whole point is that as a society, we understand that was a bad law. Understood. We understand that that's not something people should be criminalized right. or prosecuted mm-hmm. or convicted right. or sentenced for. Right. So because we've evolved and we understand that that's not something that should have ever been the case. Understood. Then we're moving forward. So how do you leave? I don't understand why you would feel like somebody who broke a law that we changed because we understand that the law is flawed should be penalized by a bad law. Right. Why? I do think that it's a bad law. My my position about that is if it was committed during the time when you knew that it was wrong. And well, maybe it you didn't think it was wrong. Offense, but it was a criminal offense at that specific time period. Okay. So if you committed that act knowing it was a criminal offense at that specific time period, then you were convicted under that specific law and that specific time period, and that's your sentence. Should we go back and reverse everybody's sentence? I'm not saying that we should, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't. I believe, in my opinion about this perspective, mm-hmm. is that you committed the crime Knowing that it was a crime and you should be, you should, 
you know, answer to that crime and you should accept the punishment. But, it, but, but the whole point of it is that we realize now mm-hmm. that it wasn't a crime. Mm-hmm. Like, just because you call something a crime doesn't make it one. I mean, mm-hmm. and even, even using the word crime and criminal is subjective. Like, there are things that that we understand now, again, as society moves forward and evolves, that we understand are not criminal. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, mean, I wasn't going to go back this far, but, I mean, <laughs> let's go back this far. Okay. Like, if you had, there was a point in time that it was legal to own people, right, right as Absolutely. slaves. Mm-hmm. Then people were like, no, that's wrong. Right. That should not be legal. Right. Right. That's a problem. And so the laws changed because the country evolved and people had a better understanding about what 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 should and should not be permissible. Understood. And so if that is the case, like you don't go back and say like, well, you know, if if you were seen to have been someone who smuggled slaves Mm -hmm. and were caught then we were sending you to jail for breaking the, the law back then, right? right? Mm-hmm. But once the Emancipation Proclamation passed and people were like, that's just stupid to own people, right? you're saying that we sh- those people should still be in jail for smuggling slaves. I'm not saying that. Based upon... That is what you're saying. This is what I'm saying. Again, I agree with your initial perspective. I am offering an alternative opinion about this. I know there's an alternative right. opinion. I think okay. the alternative opinion is flawed. <laughs> this is about that. your perspective. Right. What do you think? Right. I think both ways. I think that one, my, That's what my I, just said. I think initially, and, and what I go with a hundred percent, and I always try to look at things from different perspectives, uh-huh. especially being an attorney. I try to look at if, if I was the defense, what would I do on this specific side? Um, if I was the state, what would I argue on this specific side? Mm-hmm. I definitely agree with you. I don't want anybody in jail for marijuana. I really don't. I think it's a waste of money, like I said. Sure. However, if I was arguing for the state, I would say that at that specific time, it was a crime and they should remain in jail. But, but why? Based upon the fact that it was a crime when they did it. But it's a bad law. It. Why would you? Why, I don't, but this, who, is, this is what I don't understand. Okay. I don't understand arguing to to I don't understand arguing for the continued incarceration of people who were convicted under what we now believe was a bad law. Right. Like, I don't understand the fundamental premise for that. But. But the term bad law is ambiguous. One no, is not. Yes, it is ambiguous. So define well, bad we, law. What would you def- How would you a define law that's bad law? Bad. <laughs> <laughs> a law that we understand right. is nonsensical. And because we understand that the law is based on a flawed ideology or an antiquated thinking or an uninformed way of thinking about things, then we say we are smarter now. We are more informed now. We and we understand that. I mean, that's the whole reason that the laws have changed is Anybody, because right. people, the s- society has said that's stupid. Understood. That doesn't make any sense anymore. So to argue that, I know that we as a country have moved forward, yeah. and we understand that alcohol consumption mm-hmm. is now legal. legal. Right. We understand that prohibition did not work. Right. right. First of all, it was big. And I think that's maybe maybe that's the point we should draw out of this is that a lot of those things are steeped in religiosity. Right. Right. And certain type of uh, Puritan thinking and, you know, this whole thing, like, you know, Christian narratives and the whole nine. Absolutely. And a lot of times as, we, as we've evolved, people have really understood more and more that we shouldn't be making laws based on religious, fundamental, religion. yeah. Christian, you know, fundamentalist 
thinking. Absolutely. And so that's why a lot of laws have changed in terms of interracial marriage, in terms mm-hmm. of alcohol consumption, in terms of, I don't know, other stuff, you know, right. that you couldn't do. Like, right. I mean, I don't want to be too graphic, but like sodomy in some states right. was illegal, illegal, even if you were and married. Still is. right. And, well, no, not anymore. Supreme Court, the uh, yeah, Supreme okay. Court, like, we yeah. could, we could, uh, we could put it up. I'll, well, I'll, okay. yeah. we'll, yeah. we'll Supreme Court said right that now. you can't do that. Okay. And it was like in, in my lifetime, like, like sodomy was illegal in some states. I know right. in Texas for sure. Okay. And so I do think that as we move forward and we separate out kind of what, well, I want to separate out. We redefine mm-hmm. what morality is and what's good right. for the society and how we should protect the rights of individuals to exist as they so choose. Right. We're moving forward and we're, and we're just, you know, I think we're thinking about it differently. So I don't really understand the logic behind saying, I know that what you, because this is what we're saying. Let me, let, me, let me say it this way. What you did, mm-hmm. I understand now that it's not wrong. Okay. But because I thought it was wrong then, 10 years ago, okay. I'm going to still let you stay in jail because of what I thought. To, I just like that is completely ludicrous to listen, me. I, and this is what I'm saying. I understand that perspective and I agree with it. I do. But to offer a counter to that, I do understand the argument, at least the argument that at that specific time it was a crime. That's all that I'm saying. Okay. I'm giving people two, two different, you know, playing devil's advocate, if you will, <laughs> and giving people two different analysis of the situation. I mean, I say that I, I hear you and understand it because I do know that as we move forward and have right. this conversation about the legalization of marijuana, there's going to be somebody arguing for states who's going to have that position. Absolutely. Who's going to say, well, it was the law then. Yeah. You know, but when I have, I mean, my polls are not scientific. <coughs> when I've asked people in my, in my poll, <laughs> when I've asked people in my, in my polls, some folks just look at the poll and don't actually vote in it. But when I've asked people, you know, about that in, in polls, I mean, the vast majority, like 85, 90 percent of people have said you shouldn't right. keep somebody in jail. Who, yeah. You know, who's convicted of a law that's now defunct. Yeah. yeah, just I, I don't I don't. It doesn't really make sense to me. So anyway, do you have anything else you want to offer on that? I do. Well, not on that specific thing. Okay, I did have a question for you. OK, so today is Election Day in Georgia. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. And now, this ain't airing on election day, but this, I know it, that was election day. It, it was election day. Right. So everybody, yeah. So everybody voted, hopefully, hopefully. At, at, by this point, because the polls, the polls are closed now. Yeah. Now, I had I had an issue today, Ted. I want what your opinion that? about it. OK, so I was at work, you know, and I talked to you earlier today and I said, you know what? I got to vote. Right. right? I got to right. vote after work. Me waiting to the last minute, you know, uh, don't do like me. Don't be like me. I waited to the day to look up who I was voting for, what their platforms were, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. So in terms of representatives, I pulled up both of their pages. I was doing my research. I Googled these individuals, and mm-hmm. it came to a man of color um, and a, a, a Caucasian female who mm-hmm. was running, who were both running for the same position, Okay, right? So, you know, I asked my paralegal, I said, hey, I said, should I vote? for somebody just specifically based upon their color. Mm-hmm. Because I honestly like the Caucasian woman's 
platform better. Mm-hmm. Like I was reading, I was into it. I was clicking and I was reading and I was going to links. <laughs> you know, and, sure. and I liked her platform. I could just feel her spirit almost when I was reading it. I sure. felt as though she was authentic. Sure. But I was it was an inward battle for me being a black male. I said, hey, do I vote for this brother? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And give him a chance because we just don't have that much representation, especially here in Georgia. Sure. Or should I vote for a Caucasian woman? So what, what is your perspective? on on voting for somebody based upon the color of their skin? Um, I I think that we have to look at platforms. Okay. We have to look at positions. Um, And and I don't think that it's, you know, insane to, you know, take into account someone's race um, because chances are, it's not an absolute chances are there will be some commonalities and some ways in which they will connect with you and resonate. Now, now I also want to say that black folks or white folks or women or men, whatever, no group is monolithic, right? So not all black people think alike or have the same position or what have you. So that's why I think the first thing has to be the platform. What is this person's position? What is their history? What is their policy agenda? Okay. And so I would say, no, I'm not going to just vote for somebody because they're black, even though I feel like some people do that. Right. And conversely, some people vote for candidates just because they're white. Absolutely. And some vote just because the candidate is Latino or Latina. Right. Like, so people do that. I don't think that's the most, you know, that's the almost, best way to move us forward. And, and yeah, and it's almost like that whole, remember that whole Easter Ray movement where she was like, I'm rooting for everybody black. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not necessarily synonymous. I get what she was saying. Yeah, she sure, wants sure. people of color you know, to win. But it's almost one of those ideas. And and the truth is, you know, black individuals can get in the office and mess it up just like anybody else can. Should so it shouldn't. And have. And right. <laughs> and don't give me the start. Don't right. call names. Look, I, look. But I do think that I do think when you're when you're talking about things like criminal justice reform. Right. When you're talking about mass incarceration, when you talk about the legalization of marijuana, mm-hmm. that those are important things. And yeah. I have found that candidates of, of color have been, again, it's not scientific, but have been seen to be more acquiescent as it relates to those things and more open to having those conversations. What about Ben Carson? You think he would be open to it? (laughs) (laughs) Look, I was just just asking. I doubt doubt that Ben Carson would be open. Okay, I was just asking the question. But by the same token, Barack Obama wasn't Mm -hmm. open to it either. Okay. As a president, he was like he was not supportive mm-hmm. of, you know, the legal, right. legalization of marijuana at the time. Right. But I do think that Barack Obama is not unlike other politicians yeah. who, you know, basically puts his finger out there and, you know, licks his you know, tongue and puts on his finger and tests the wind, see kind right. of, you know, where we are, where we're going. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of politicians do that. They, 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 they take positions that are politically expedient at that particular point in time right. um, because they want to win. Right. Um, and they, want, they don't want, you know, to be seen as too whatever, progressive, too right. out of touch with you know, reality and where folks are. Um, but but the other thing, though, that I feel like is important to this particular conversation is um, looking at being someone who, you know, goes to courtrooms and uh, is defending people. How, what's some some. Um, advice or insight that you might give to people who might be listening who find themselves in a situation where they are, you know, arrested, um, charged with a crime that they've not committed. And it's sitting with someone who is, you know, maybe it's a public defender or what have you, who is saying you should take a plea. Right. 
Like, and, and they're like, I didn't, I didn't do this. Right. And, I, and I know, I know that if I do, there are going to be, you know, conse- consequences, if you will, later. Like, maybe speak to what you feel like they. I mean, I know you can't. Yeah. Every situation is different, different. but, but kind of in general. And then, what do you feel like some of those consequences are that people may know or may not be aware of? Yeah. That, you know. Well, for starters, I would say that, I mean, obviously, each situation is going to be a lot different. No one case that I represent is the same. I mean, I've done, you know, countless DUI charges and each one of them is a little bit different. Maybe the person was going uh, 55 and a 35, which is the mm-hmm. initial reason for them being stopped. Maybe they failed to maintain lane, which basically means you were swerving mm-hmm. um, in and out of traffic, whether that be a lot or a little bit. Mm-hmm. Did you cross the line? So my best advice to anybody seeking legal help would be to follow your heart. One, in your selection of the attorney, just because somebody charges $20,000 doesn't mean that they're a good attorney. Mm-hmm. And just because somebody may have done 50 million DUIs, that doesn't mean that they're a good attorney either. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have all of the experience in the world, but you want somebody that's going to fight for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you want somebody who's going to listen to you because oftentimes, you know, I've dealt with seasoned attorneys that don't even listen. They, they feel like they know what to do and they don't want to hear what you have to say about it. And some mm-hmm. people prefer that. Like, hey, just handle it. Don't ask me anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you want somebody who's not afraid to listen to you and update you. And mm-hmm. most importantly, be honest with you about stuff. Yeah. I'll, but how do you know that? Like, you're right. if you're... If you're a lay person, like, how do you know if your attorney's up front of us? You don't know. I I think you really have to just follow your guy. I think you you can feel it. I think when Mm -hmm. you meet with individuals, you have to go with, it's just almost like buying a car, buying buying Mm -hmm. a home. You know what I mean? It might not be the nicest car on the lot, but you feel what's for you. And the good thing is that you could always fire your attorney too. I mean, even if you sign, right. Even if you sign a retainer agreement, typically the retainer agreement and just always make sure like read stuff too. I tell people (laughs) that please read. But what if you don't um, know what you're reading? Right. Because you is, 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 is that like, is there like legalese in those things you read? Usually it's not that like legally, you know okay. what I'm saying? It's just basically provisions that you'll pay, you know, um, <laughs> and pay your attorneys. <laughs> you know, it's just provisions that you'll pay and that you'll be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but read over those, you know, retainer agreements, you know, and, and, you know, you have to go with your gut. And again, like I said, the gut doesn't mean that they're the most affordable or the most expensive or the most experienced. Find out the person for you. And two, you never have to take anything that you don't want to take. Mm. Even if you're in courtroom and it's the day of your plea and you decide not to, uh, you have the ability to say, hey, this isn't what I want. Now, a judge may ha- make you have a trial at that specific moment. Um and you have to be prepared and ready for that. Mm-hmm. But you don't ever have to do anything that you don't want to do is the most important thing. Okay. Two, accepting a plea does not necessarily mean that you're agreeing that you did exactly what they said you did. Mm-hmm. Again, I talked to you guys about the Alfred plea, which basically says, hey, I don't agree with all of these facts, but it's in my best uh, my best interest to take this plea. Let's say you walk out of here and uh, you walk down the street and pistol whip somebody, mm-hmm. right? You know, you had, you had got mad after this podcast for whatever reason, <laughs> right? I was talking too much. So you get mad and you just move and you pistol whip somebody uh-huh. um, and you get arrested for it. And they say, well, hey, Ted, we think that you pistol whip somebody and sped down the street going 55 miles per hour, mm-hmm. right? So you're charged with, you know, fleeing and eluding and you're also charged with pistol whipping somebody, mm-hmm. Right. If they say, if they charge you with those two things and you say, you re- retain me, 
which you will, and, and you say, <laughs> you know, Kev, I really wasn't going 55 miles an hour. I'm going to say, Ted, well, that's not really the big picture. <laughs> the right. big picture is that you pistol whip somebody. Right. So, you know, listen to your attorneys when they say that, too, because the speeding is in fleeing and looting may be a, a red herring to the overarching plea. Mm. Um, so hear them out. Ask for, for explanations. It's okay yeah. to ask your lawyer questions, sure. no matter if you're scared or not. I mean, this is your life. You could potentially, you know, be, you know, disenfranchised, like we were talking about, you yeah. know, for, for felonies and all of that stuff. Yeah. In, in the state of Georgia, this is one more thing that I want to say, too, to educate people. In the state of Georgia, it's very hard to get things expunged. Um mm. Even misdemeanors. People come to me all the and time. people what expunged means. Right. So expungement basically means getting something off your record um, mm-hmm. after you've been convicted. Happened. Right. Like, like it's never happened. In the state of Georgia, it's called record restriction now. They changed it to make it record restriction, which is expungement. Mm-hmm. But you can't get DUIs expunged off your record unless they've been dismissed or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so... It's very hard to get charges off your record in Georgia. So be mindful before you plead to anything, um, you know, what the laws are for fresh start in terms of record restriction here in Georgia. That's, that's good information. And, and circling back around, you know, at this point, the elections are, are over for right now. But another, re- you know, another reason is, is super important to show up is because you are or are not (laughs) voting for people who are making laws. Even when we talk about laws that are crazy, that are make no sense, that are prejudiced against people groups, like those laws are, don't just happen, right? There are people in your state uh, house of representatives and Senate, or, you know, on the federal level who literally make these laws. That's that's what we call these people lawmakers. And so it's important to elect people who are either going to, you know, deconstruct um, existing laws right. um, or change them or amend them or what have you, or, you know, create laws that protect you. Yeah. So I think those <clears throat> things are super important. And, you know, just circling again, this back to voting um, before, before we wrap, like I, I do want to just talk a little bit about what we've been seeing in the media so much with police brutality right, and just the, you know, I don't even know like what number or how to even, you know, what descriptor to use, but just tons of video we've seen and articles we've read and personal accounts of people being, you know, whether it's Waffle House or, you know, fuck being arrested in Starbucks or what have you, like, what do you feel um, people can do or should do if they have an encounter with the police Um, you know, via traffic stop or Waffle House. Right. This is really, really a difficult uh, subject for me, only because, you know, I'm a member of the criminal justice system, you Mm -hmm. know, in some way, shape or form. And I deal with police officers every day. Mm -hmm. You know, even uh, me being a defense attorney, I have a lot of police officer friends. You Mm -hmm. know, a lot of my really, really close friends are police officers. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I understand from their perspective, that they have to come home at night. You know what I mean? They Mm -hmm. have families. They have kids. Police officers get shot and killed every day, too. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily, you know, uh, you know, you know, it's those chance encounters. They they go to arrest somebody, they grab the gun, they shoot them, and we're all right and rest in peace for a friend or a family member or a loved one that's been killed in the line of duty who was trying to do their job. It's a lot of good, good cops out here. 
-hmm. you know, and I think that uh, a few bad apples ruin it for all police officers. And and I think a a lot of it has to do with society, too. Mm -hmm. Like this whole F-12 movement, you know, I I, I think it's kind of, well, you know, uh, in a lot of songs and stuff like that, um, they say F-U-C-K-12. And 12 is basically a police code. Mm-hmm. They say code 12 or whatever the case may be. So 12 is like the code for police officers. So we'll be like, okay, what's up 12? Like that means what's up police officers. So sure. F12 mm-hmm. um, basically means like F the cops or whatever, yeah, sure. you know, like back in the day. Sure. And I think that's destructive too for our community because we're told to disrespect police officers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of them are here to help us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we do have a lot that, that typecast and that stereotype and that give us a hard time, mm-hmm. but I know a lot of really good police that are working to make uh, it safe out here. Mm-hmm. So my one uh, recommendation would be to try to comply as best as possible. You know, I've only gotten one ticket, knock on wood, in my life. Mm-hmm. And I was speeding. Like, I was, like, flying like that. Sure. I was going fast. Sure. So, and I deserve a ticket. You know, sure. I've only gotten one ticket. I've been stopped multiple times, but I've always been respectful. I've said, hey, how you doing, officer? You know, I'm sorry. You know, was I doing something that, that I shouldn't have been? I've gotten out of every stop without getting a ticket. You know, I'm very compliant. I'm very polite. That's just my nature anyway. Mm-hmm. But I try to be overly nice because I'm, I'm letting them know, hey, I'm not... Uh, I'm not on the defense. But why you know? should you have to be? You shouldn't have to be. But the reality is that that I, I have to be as a black male. Uh-huh. I shouldn't have to go out of my way to do it. Nobody should because white men don't do it. White men can be combative and argumentative. Absolutely. White women can. Um, and there there not be um, any uh, repercussions for it. But I have to realize as a black male that unfortunately it's different for me. Mm-hmm. It, it's just different. It is different. And that's not something I can help or try to combat right now. I just have to realize that my life is on the line. I'm with police officer. I'm engaging. Let me do whatever I need to do to make it home because some people haven't made it home after an encounter with the police. Right. So for me, it's not a matter of my pride. I know that I'm an attorney. I know what my rights are. I know that I can go after the police officer as well. My job is save all of that for a later time. If <clears throat> and, and get through this encounter with the police. I understand that, and I don't disagree with you. And, and, and you know, to that point, I have been stopped by the police, you know, multiple times. And you got multiple tickets, too. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I haven't had that many speeding tickets, yeah. fortunately. But, you know, every encounter I've had with police, for the most part, right. have been pleasant, have been courteous. Mm-hmm. Even when I was stopped, I remember I was, I was going from Charlotte to Atlanta straight to the airport, and I was driving... You know, it's probably 70 miles per hour. It's probably doing 85. Right. And the cop was in an unmarked black SUV. Mm-hmm. I was driving so fast and listening to, this was right before Obama was elected. Okay. So I was listening to the news per usual yeah. and didn't even see him. So I saw the lights come on. I was like, oh, man. So he pulls me over and I had a USA Today paper on my front seat, the passenger seat, yeah. which had this headline about Obama potentially being the president. Yeah. I'm in South Carolina. The white cop comes up. He was like, I just said, he was like, you clearly didn't see me. And he's like laughing. And I was like, didn't see you at all. I was, you know, I'm trying to get to the airport. I have his flight to catch. Yeah. And then he looked at the paper and he was like, that's exciting, right? And I was like, yeah, right. it's incredible that he might be the next president, blah, blah, blah. Right. Still wrote me a ticket, yeah. <laughs> right? But I do think that part of it is that. The challenge, though, is I have seen many instances on video where the person, because you're saying that you were pulled over when you were speeding. 
Well, a lot of these encounters were people not breaking the law. Right. And so we have to really deal with that because the problem is not, and and people have the bad apples conversation. I, I, I think that's a, you know, I think that's a straw man argument. I don't think that's the real problem. Mm-hmm. Like, a problem is not bad apples. Right. The problem is a bad system that does not penalize those police officers when mm-hmm. they do things mm-hmm. like what we're talking about. Right. And so if the if the law or the system that governs police um, held them accountable, mm-hmm. I think you'd see the, the numbers of, you know, videos and such yeah. decrease right. significantly. And rapidly. Right. <clears throat> but because, you know, you can go and, and, and grab a boy by the throat who's at a Waffle House and throw him on the ground because you f- feel like you are, quote unquote, above the law and nothing happens to you, then, you know, what incentive do you have to, to stop? Now, I do think that we need a harsher discipline in terms of officers. I do think we need to open up, you know, stronger investigations. I do think police officers can be convicted of murder as well. Yeah, but who's going to do that? Internal right. Affairs? Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I think that they, you know, I think that criminal charges should be pressed by the state against police officers who willfully disobey the so law. So you think that the police, the police officers who work for states or certain jurisdictions are going to be prosecuted by the state? I didn't say that they are, but I'm saying that they should be. So I'm not disagreeing with you that we should have harsher punishment for police officers. The harder, hard part with police officers, judges, uh, judges district attorneys, it's kind of almost a self-regulating field. Yeah, right? exactly. So it's, kind of, right. so it's hard to do that. And it's very much so discretion-based right. as a judge, as a police officer. Right. So it's based upon that police officer's discretion. Usually, yeah, I mean, you don't need to shoot anybody. Like you have a taser, you have a baton, you know what I mean? You have your hands, they're trained in hand-to-hand combat. So I feel it. like, right, you know, exactly. Well, that's what what I think. Right. So I do think it's flawed in that sense. But it's hard because it is discretionary based. And sometimes you have to make decisions in the blink of an eye. Sure. Do, do they get it right? Often, I'm not sure they do. But in the same sentence, I haven't been put in that situation because I haven't been a police officer. I understand that. And I have, I have, I have friends who are officers as well, a few of them. And I had an in-depth in conversation with one of them who gave me an example um, of a police officer. I forget where the cop was. Um, but he got a call that someone had snatched a bottle of beer from somebody. Yeah. Somebody's drinking a beer. A guy walks past him and snatches his bottle of beer mm-hmm. and it goes on by his way. So the cop is alerted. He, you know, is given a description of the person who's wearing a, a fatigue jacket or something, like some kind of jacket. Yeah. So he sees the guy. He gets out of the car. He's approaching the guy. The guy's walking away from him. Right. So he can't see what's happening in front. Police officer pulls his weapon, tells the guy to stop like three times. Mm-hmm. The guy doesn't stop. Right. Third time, the guy turns around. But when he turns around, he's already pulled a weapon and he fires and shoots the cop in the neck. Mm. So the cop is on his radio trying to call right. for help, but he dies. Right. right. And, and so my friend was like part of this is his supposition. What he thinks happened is the cop was dealing with the I don't want to be the next right. white cop yeah. who shoots the black guy right. who's on the video. Yeah. Right. And I and I think that that's you know if that's his position that's legitimate. I don't want to like act like that's not a real thing for right. some people. But again, I still think that if there was a citizen review board, which I think needs to yeah. be what happens. I mean, you're, you're sitting here saying that you, as a defense attorney, mm-hmm. you know, know a lot of cops and, right. and, and engage with them. 
But if you're a prosecuting attorney who's working for the government, right. you're probably engaging them even more. You're Absolutely. seeing them in court. You're seeing them in yeah. the break room. Like, y'all friends, right. family, you know each other. I just don't trust that a prosecutor is working for the state. It is it's going to be yeah. like, you know what I'm saying, objectively prosecuting this emotional voice. connection with these people. I mean, yeah. these are your friends. So, Absolutely. you know, if, if you have a situation where they read the police report and they feel like you're being disrespected, this is some. This is an attorney who's going to go out to lunch with this police officer right. a little bit. So, you know, or I, I who's going to say, I know Harry's not that kind of yeah. person. Right? Yeah. He, you Absolutely. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Now, one last thing, too, and I know we have to wrap up as well, but. What is your argument, especially in light of the recent, you know, another school shooting? What mm. do you think about this whole right to bear arms and if there can be anything done um, to kind of That's a whole eliminate these? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, in, in a nutshell, I feel like the reading of the Second Amendment is, is flawed mm-hmm. and has been for a very long time. And all right. these Second Amendment folks, you know... Are, are just perpetuating a culture of violence, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and just I, I just don't really understand, like, why people are... Well, I, I won't say I don't understand it. I do understand it, right? Yeah. But I think that the whole rationale is flawed. So let me, just for people who don't know, okay. let me read what it says in this particular sentence that people always quote in the Second Amendment. Okay. Second Amendment says, a well regulated militia, mm-hmm. comma, being necessary to the security of a free state. Okay. The right of the people to keep and bear arms uh-huh. shall not be infringed. So you think it's talking about the military? Who do you think it's talking about? I think it's talking about a militia. Right. <laughs> I like, think, I'm not going to add them. It's like people talking about the Bible. Don't add to it. Don't take it So So what happens though is when people read it yeah. or quote it, They never start with the beginning of it. They always just say, I have the right to keep in their arms, which gives no context to why the amendment was written. And why did why has it said that any citizen has a right right to keep in their arms? The hard part about that, too, is that granted. And like you said, with the Bible, that's a, a whole different conversation. But, yeah, I think. It's hard because all we have is a constitution. Whenever I do contract law or business law, all I have is paper. This That's paper with writing on it. Mm-hmm. We don't know what they meant when they were, were writing it. There's nothing to provide any context. So mm-hmm. we read those words and we add what we want to add. We take out what we want to take out instead right. of just reading the words because your interpretation is going to be completely different from mine. Right. So it's difficult. But I do I, I, I do love that you read that for everybody so that they can actually see it. Right. Um, but I don't know. It's difficult. And, you know, it's always this quote of um, guns don't kill people. People kill people. You know, so it's nothing wrong with with having a gun as a form of protection. Um, I mean, that's a ridiculous. Right. I mean, tanks don't kill people. People kill right. people. Well, you know, you, bombs don't kill people. people. people well, kill you know, that's people. what people say. Yeah, I mean, you know, it it's right. But, you know, I, I do think that to have protection or safety, mm-hmm. you know, if you're living in a bad neighborhood, sometimes you need a gun for protection or you need something for protection. Mm-hmm. I don't think that necessarily guns are bad, mm-hmm. um, but I do think that there should be some form, uh, form of reform around uh, for guns and, and that we shouldn't allow, you know, anybody and everybody to have them and, and to do with them what, what they so But how do you, I mean, I, I do feel, I agree with you that the cat's out of the bag in that I don't know that we could ever get rid of all guns like there's so many guns in america right um and then people buy more and more and more whenever there's a you know a a mass shooting like it's 
the strangest thing in the world. Right. Um, but but I but I often look at um, you know because Americans don't feel like we can learn from other folks, right? For whatever reason, um, because of American exception, exceptionalism, which is a different show. Yeah. But what happened is, and I always go to this, like in Can in uh, in Australia, mm-hmm. people had the same kind of rights and stuff. Um, and in I think it was '96, I want to say that a mass shooting where about 35 people were killed. Yeah. So what what the um, administration did in Australia immediately mm-hmm. was they outlawed assault weapons. Right. Right. And you can only own a handgun or a long gun. Long guns are like rifles for hunting and the like. Mm-hmm. After you go through an extensive background check, right. number one, and – you have to go through training. Hmm. Like think about the United States of America where you can buy a gun at 16, 17, 18, whatever it is, based on your state. And you don't have to go through any training for a weapon that could right. kill somebody. Or you know, yourself. a lot of that, again, is political and that's a totally different conversation, right. you know, with, you know, the national right. But I also think it's, ba- well, absolutely. But I also think it's based on what we've been talking about in general. Yeah. And that is the evolution of thought mm-hmm. and the laws being a reflection of that. Hmm. And so these ideas about owning guns and, and basing it on something that was written hundreds of years ago is just nonsensical to me. Like it is not a current way we should be thinking about things. Mm -hmm. And then every time you turn around, there is another, I mean, we just had just another mass shooting in Texas, 10 people killed, 13 people injured. And then nothing happens. Right. And And I I do understand and I I get what you're saying. Now, I don't know if you're alluding to the fact that we shouldn't use the Constitution as the foundation for it because you're saying. Well, what I think is that the Constitution should be looked at as a living document. But I think with that. This this will go on forever. But I, I think I think you have to have some type of structure because when people start changing the actual words of the Constitution, I think it could be. It can recap. Like, have you ever seen The Handmaid's Tales and all of those shows where no. stuff is just a different alternate? But like, I, mean, I mean, yeah. But, but, but Attorney Marshall, we, yeah. we, we've done that already. I, I, I think we because we, our, have, we do have our interpretation. No, I don't even, mean, I don't even mean that. We have amendments to the Constitution. Yeah. <laughs> right? No, because if we have, didn't, you, yeah. would, you would be a slave. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with that. Yeah. But I still think when I, I was asking more so for clarity, and you, you're saying that the, the Constitution is a, a, should be living in terms of should there be changes to the initial right to bear arms? All yes, that stuff. I feel like okay. those things should be reexamined okay. based on the, the progress and evolution of society and information and science and data and all of these things. It's, it shouldn't be static. Okay. Right. We should as we as we learn better, we should do better. Okay. Like they didn't. I mean, even when you think about like the Constitution was written. And, and when you think about, well, let's go back and look at verbiage they use, right? They say all men are created equal. Right. Well, we understand they didn't mean men like you and myself. Yeah. They meant white men who were free and owned land. Right. Right. There was a very specific idea about what they meant. Right. So as we learn better, then we change things. Okay. And so now we're having, here's my point. In Australia, they made this change immediately. Okay. They have not had one mass shooting. Mm-hmm. In 21 years. Uh-huh. Why? Because it's not about the people. Like as we like, people like to say here, people don't have access to the instruments right. that can cause that type of mass casualty. Mm-hmm. Now, some people still might go and shoot people, 
um, with a gun. Like there was a family in Australia, a, a, a man I think recently in Australia who like killed several of his family members, mm-hmm. right, with a handgun. So it doesn't. It's not going to alleviate like murder, murder, right? But, but you're not going to have nobody's going to be able to. to, to you're not going to have a situation where somebody has a gun that can shoot fifty rounds in three seconds, right? You know, which the purpose of a weapon like that is not to hunt and is not to defend oneself. Right. It is to it is to inflict the most damage as quickly in the That's least possible. amount of time. Yeah. That's the purpose of being able to shoot that many rounds right. that quickly. Yeah. So why do you, as a citizen, citizen in a civilized society walking around, need a weapon that can shoot 50 rounds in three seconds? Right. It's just, I mean, it's, it, 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 it's not I purposeful. I don't, I don't understand that. So, yeah, I think that the, we should firstly have a proper reading okay. and interpretation of the Second Amendment. Okay. And then under- I'm just going to be subjective. It is. I, I don't okay. disagree. Well, well, if it is subjective, which I agree that it would be, I would just want somebody to explain to me what is meant Publicious. in the open. Yeah, <laughs> I agree with you. I never thought about that perspective. Yeah, like like what is meant when it says that? I mean, you, and you got to think about the fact, you know, that America. We're not going to deal with slavery and all that, but the people who came over here and people who were writing the Constitution and and such were people who had come from a tyrannical government, right? Where the government, you know, controlled folk and was taking over stuff. Mm-hmm. So the purpose of them saying that is that the militia would be could be formed mm-hmm. in the in in the event that the government tried to take over things or you know what I'm saying take mm-hmm. over rule over the people. Mm-hmm. So they basically said, look, we're going to give you the right to keep and bear arms for the purpose of forming a militia. Basically, if the government ever goes crazy, yeah. Well, that's not a thing anymore. It was not. I mean, I mean, I, I, and even if even if somebody, cause somebody wait, somebody has tried to argue that whole point before they were like, well, you know, what might happen? So you think your 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 uh, AR fifteen is going to be? I'm just messing with you. No, I get it. But but for people who may have that position, yeah. do you think your AR fifteen is going to be like uh, sufficient for a tank? Yeah. Or a nuclear bomb? Or like we don't even if the government now, you know, and. I won't get off the task. Yeah. But even if the government now was going to do that, like there'd be really nothing you could do. Like we can't, we, we don't have equipment. The point of it is that was a different time. That was hundreds of years ago. We're in 2018 now. The world is a different place. America is a different place. There's been a lot of technology. I mean, they never could have imagined what we have. They didn't have an AR-15 then. Yeah. They didn't have a weapon yeah. that could shoot, you know, that amount of bullets in that amount of, in that short of a period of time. Yes. And so that's why I said we have to contextualize these arguments. We have to look at that. And that's why I feel like the Constitution needs to be a living document. And ever-changing? Ever-changing. As we change, right. as we evolve, as we grow. Okay, it's interesting. Yeah, so I mean, to, I didn't mean to get off task in terms of the school shooting, but it's, it's I mean, it's, it's debilitating to look at the fact, think about the fact that kids since probably 1998 or 99, whenever Columbine was, you know, have continued to have this happen. And I do feel like every time it happens, Mm. more people are emboldened to do it because nothing happens. And they realize that, I mean, I was literally um, a few months ago driving down the street where I live and it was, I don't know, two o'clock or so. And there were kids, small kids, mm-hmm. five, six, seven years old coming out of an elementary school. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking like how susceptible they were right. to something like that happening 
because people can still walk around with those types of weapons. I mean, you can't go to church. You can't go to no. school. You can't. I mean, you can't go anywhere. You can't go to a movie theater. And, exactly. And the interesting, you know, interesting thing is that when whenever a certain group does it, it's always the mental illness argument or, or theory, <clears throat> uh, which is again, um, you know, unfair. We never want to hit the the. the uh, nail on the head, we always want to blame mental illness as a way to escape from really doing some type of change. But yeah, you know, the, the law is ever-changing and it's an interesting time period for law right now. Yeah. I mean, with technology, with everything that's going on in government right now, it's just an interesting time for law. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll be excited to see where things go in the next five to 10 years from now. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I I, I think that the, the, uh, hopefully we will have the criminal decriminalization of things like marijuana, um, hopefully, you know, what, what D.A. Krasner is doing in Philadelphia in terms of, you know, trying to get people off probation. And even with yeah. even with probation, he is saying that it shouldn't be any longer than two years yeah. because because statistics show that people who are going to reoffend yeah. usually do it within the first year. It's like five year probation. It's, that's ridiculous. Like, yeah, like it's ridiculous. absurd that if you do something yeah. again, like popping a wheelie. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? And, 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 and the other part that's incorporated in that is that we know that if Meek Mill was, you know, uh, some white person in the suburbs, it wouldn't be the case. Like you had the, the case of the, of the student, I can't recall the school, who, who, who literally raped the girl uh-huh. maybe a year or two years ago. I think maybe he was at Stanford, maybe. And his father knew the judge and he didn't even get jail time. Oh, you have a case right now in Texas to this point. And we, I promise we're going to wrap. <laughs> Where uh, this guy who just went into school in, in Santa Fe and killed ten people, yeah. right? Cavity, get like thirty or forty years, right? Right. Yeah. But the rapper who is was charged with two two counts of yeah. capital murder and armed is, robbery or something. And like armed that, robbery, right? yeah, is given is, is they want to give him the death, death penalty. penalty. Like, and, and the reason is because I mean, I, I'm, I mean, I haven't read this, but my supposition. Is that they're gonna say, you know, this boy is mentally ill. Of course. Well, anybody who kills anybody is mentally, mentally ill. Right. Like that's not a rational way to, to think about anything. So I, I just don't understand why I do, but it's it's infuriating that these crimes at, at these schools over and over and over and over are committed mostly, if not totally, by young white males right. who are I- I- immediately you know, romanticize and humanize hmm. and people say, look, he's, you know, he's a and mis- just have the, and, and have the best picture of them on the news. And we get, you know, pictures throwing up gang size and yeah. new rags. And- yeah. Even the shooter in Vegas. Yeah. People, I mean, he was a loving father. Like, yeah, <laughs> no, exactly. Is- and, 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 and people were like, you know, just stunned that they didn't like, couldn't find the right. signs. And we looked at his Facebook right. and we looked at his Twitter and we looked at his bank accounts and, Nothing was, you know, we could we couldn't make the connection to yeah. because they they have to prove that, you know, they yeah. were mentally unstable and and black folks who commit crimes where they're killing one person or two people are not given mm-hmm. the same type of you know luxury. Anyway, anything you want to leave with the listeners in? in you closing? know what? I just encourage everybody to um, to reach for the stars, man. You can literally do everything and anything that you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm proof that you can, you know, come from you know a quote unquote broken home, which really wasn't broken, but to have a single parent household, to have a father that was or is a felon, 
and then go off to be a lawyer. So mm -hmm. you're not a product of your environment. You create your environment. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what I kind of want to leave and close with. And thank you so much, Seth, for having me. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Um, thank you guys for listening. Um, please uh, subscribe to the podcast. There are other episodes that I think you'll enjoy that will be informative um, um, and, and, and hopefully help you uh, give you some insight into different areas of your life. Tell a friend, tell a neighbor, coworker, people you like, people you don't like. Just <laughs> tell them about the podcast. It's totally free, clearly to download it. And thank you guys for giving us uh, your time um, to listen to Perspective uh, with yours truly, Ted Wynn. And we'll talk to you all the next time. Peace.